We're going to be landing in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. If you want to have those open, that would be great as well. With your Bible or the Bible in the chair rack that's in front of you, uh, it's a great new series that we're on called The Supernatural. We want to look into the things of heaven and hell, Satan and demons. Next week is Satan and uh, angels and uh, how God is working through spiritual warfare. There is a world that is out there. You may not know the name Michael May, Michael May, but uh, let me introduce you to Michael May in a uh, verbal sort of a way. Michael May is an interesting story because at age three he became blind. For the next 42 years of his life he had absolutely no sight. And then in the course of that 42-year journey, science and medical technology had improved to the point where they could do some sort of a transplant in his eyes that then by age 45 allowed him to be able to see for the first time after 42 years. And for people who go through that, it's almost too traumatic. Some of them never quite manage this new capacity to see what they've never been able to see before. And Michael May experienced a lot of that challenge. And some of the challenges that he faced is that he says, I have a hard time distinguishing between what is a man and what is a woman. I have a hard time realizing how fast cars are going, how close they are to me. It, it scares me when I look around me and see things that I never realized were as close as they are. He says, I have a hard time seeing people's faces and reading those small, subtle little ways that we raise the eyebrow or smile. What are those facial you know, uh, tendencies and uh, mannerisms that we have. What do, do they all mean? And for a lot of the people who go from total blindness to sight, they say we, we sometimes feel like we're not part of either world. We're no longer those who are disabled by our blindness, and we don't really feel like we connect well with those who are the sighted people as well. And they sort of feel like they're in this middle ground, and, and it's hard to make that adjustment to be able to see things and understand what they're seeing in new ways in their lives. And I read about Michael May. He was able to overcome that. And he says, I would ask my wife repeatedly, what does that mean? What is that? What do you see there? Define that for me. And he would constantly pepper her with questions to begin to understand what he was seeing in a new way. And I read about Michael May's story. I thought about this series that we're going to be involved with. We'd like to expose ourselves to be able to see things that we currently do not see, to be able to understand what we don't see and to understand what we are now going to see so that the world that God sees makes more sense to us. We're going to, in some respects, go behind enemy lines. It's like going into Syria, sitting in one of the conspiracy rooms where ISIS is planning their next beheading. It's like sitting in their room and understanding what the enemy is trying to do to destroy Christians around the world. We're going to go behind enemy lines and begin to see what they see, see what God sees, and see what we need to understand so we live the kind of life that God's called us to. So I encourage you to be with us on this journey as we go through the supernatural and we begin to look and see why we need to fix our eyes on what is unseen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we talked about 2 Corinthians 4 last week. It's really a continuation this week as well. I'm going to give you four reasons why we need to understand this. So this is laying the groundwork to understand the essential nature of this supernatural world, the unseen world. And then next week we'll take specific areas and begin to 
look into those areas more carefully. The first reason why we need to understand and be able to see the unseen world is so we have a hope for our future lives. And I'm going to get to 2 Corinthians 4, 16 in a moment, but just to backtrack, last Sunday was Resurrection Sunday. And thank you for coming and thank you for inviting your friends. And if you're here as a guest today, we're delighted to have you. But one of the things we are reminded of is what Paul said, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. The reason we need to be able to see into the supernatural world is that we have the hope of a resurrected life, a life that is not going to continue on as we now know it today. And I love this concept that God, through His Son Jesus, will raise us up with Jesus so that why? He will present us with you. We will be presented with Jesus to God Himself. This word present, let me give you a little bit of a color on that word from the Greek language. It is made, it is the word pararistomy, which means para, which is besides, like a paramedic comes alongside those who need medical attention. And histomy, it means to stand. And so what he is saying here, he takes, Paul takes this word that is used in the royal court, where if you were to go to stand before a king, uh, he might have someone who is standing next to you so that you are therefore qualified to stand before the king. He says, I want you to know that when you stand before God, we will be standing with Jesus beside us. We don't go there on our own merits. We go there because Christ qualifies us to go there by our faith and trust in Him as Savior, by our repentance of our sins and His forgiveness of our sins. And then He gives to us this robe, as Isaiah calls it, this robe of righteousness, this righteousness of the heart. And therefore, we stand with Jesus. It's like a wedding ceremony. You know, when a, when a groom and a bride gets married, you got the best man, the best woman, the bridesmaid. They stand with them as a witness to this commitment and says, we want to continue to stand with you as you live your life. But just as we stand before God in heaven, we won't stand alone. We will stand with Jesus. And the more we understand Christ and the resurrection power, the more we have hope for our future life. That's why Colossians says this. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. We battle earthly things and heavenly things. Focus on the heavenly things. For you who have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, when Christ who is your life is revealed, then you will also be revealed with Him in glory. Scripture calls for us to focus on the unseen, to focus on the heavenly existence, to be able to explore those things where Christ is. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to look into heaven. What is heaven? Why is it exciting? And as I sometimes like to say in the funerals, Heaven is not one long, boring church service. It's a very exciting place where God is going to reveal His truths to us. C.S. Lewis put it this way, A continual looking forward to the eternal world is not a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most 
for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. Isn't it nice to have things secured so that when we die, that's all taken care of? After death is all done with, I don't need to worry about that. And so therefore I can give my all for this world because the next world is provided for. And I know that if I should be cut short in this world, all the better, as Paul says, for me to live as Christ, but to die as gain. We'd have nothing to lose in death We have everything to gain in heaven. And so Paul, C.S. Lewis, Jesus himself says, I look forward to the day when I can stand with you before Almighty God in heaven, and I won't let you stand alone. I'm with you. I'm at your side there. He's at our side here. Now here's the warning. When we look into heaven in a few weeks from now, there are a lot of fictionalized books out there of kids and others who go to heaven And then they come back and write a book and make lots of money. Well, the Apostle Paul went to heaven. I don't know if you know that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, I went up to the third heavens. I went there where God is. At some point, maybe when he was beaten to death, I don't know. But at some point in Paul's life after he was converted, dramatically he was converted, he went to heaven. And he wrote about his heavenly journey. And it's a word of caution for those of us who like to read about those who went to heaven and came back and give us all the details. Here's what Paul says about going to heaven, coming back, and telling people about it. I know how such a man, referring to himself in a rather modest way, as he writes 2 Corinthians 12 as a defense of his apostolic calling, he says, I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know. I don't know if I was up there physically or just mentally God brought me to heaven. God knows. I was caught up into paradise, that's heaven, and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. And so the only person I know who's actually gone to heaven and come back to tell us about it is one who came back to tell us that he can't tell us about it. Inexpressible is a term that is used elsewhere referring to sacred words that I cannot reveal. And so we need to be cautious. We want to explore the supernatural. We want to see the unseen. We want to understand what is in heaven. But I don't want to just grab on to anybody who went up there, whether 30 seconds or many days, and came back and wrote a book about it because he could find a publisher where the publisher could make lots of money off of it. There's something a little cynical in my mind about some of the even Lazarus remember Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead he's dead for like three days three days was he in heaven when he came back alive did he talk to people about what he saw in heaven no there's no indication of any of that and so God says I want to put a caution on all these things but I do want you to seek me out I want you to seek in the heavenly places who I am the second reason why we should see the unseen world is Not just so we have hope for the future life, but so that we do not lose hope in the present life. Don't lose heart. As we saw in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 4, he repeats it again in verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Two times Paul um, records 
those words for us. And we talked about some of the reasons why we might lose heart. There's some on the digging deeper. Let me show you why seeing the unseen world helps us not to lose heart. For example, one of the ways we lose heart is sometimes when we pray and we don't get our answers. Jesus himself is the one who said, now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. And then he goes to teaching about prayer. So we all want to believe in the power of prayer. We ask the the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who gives us breath to breathe every minute of the day, we ask the God who raised Jesus from the dead to reveal that power in answers to prayers. For unsaved loved ones, for healings of bodies, for restorations of marriages, for finding jobs, for getting financial retirement benefits uh, properly in place, all these kinds of things of this world that we deal with, God says, pray about it. So we pray about it. But sometimes, I don't know about you, but I don't always get the answers. And I've been praying for some things for years and still not getting the answers. And I say, well, Lord, here's what you say in your word. So why don't you do what you say in your word? And God says, Dave, hang in there. Be patient with me. I know what I wrote in the word. You don't need to remind me. And he says, but I'm going to do a good job. So trust me on this. So why does it help us in our present lives to not lose heart when we pray? The more we understand the unseen world, the more we'll understand the world we see when prayers are not answered. Let me take you on a journey. For example, one of the great illustrations of that is Daniel. Daniel lived in the land of Babylon. It's Iraq, Iran territory today. King Nebuchadnezzar was the king, and he was forced over there. He was kidnapped from Jerusalem to Babylon to serve the king. And Daniel was a mighty man of God. Daniel is praying about the things that he's seen. He doesn't quite understand. God is revealing to him a lot of things about the future. He doesn't get it. Just like us reading the book of Revelation, I don't get it. Tell me Tell me what you're doing, God. And so Daniel is praying about those things. And here is... What happens? The angel, an angel comes to him. Gabriel comes to Daniel. And it says, then do not be afraid, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart onto understanding this, God's future plans, and humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard. So the angel says in God's behalf, I heard you on day one. And here he is still praying about it. I have come in response to your words. An angel shows up. Do angels come and answer our prayers? Yes, they do. That's one insight we're going to learn about angels. That they are powerful beings that love to come and care for us, support us, guide us, protect us, and reveal God's truth to us. Do they do those things? Absolutely they do those things. It did it to Daniel here. And Daniel has been praying, but he's not getting an answer from God. Here's the reason why. Gabriel says, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia, there is a prince in the spiritual world, there is a hierarchy of demonic world and angelic world, and this prince, there is a very high powerful demon that is over the kingdom of Persia where Daniel was living, and today we call it Iran. And no wonder why we see the kind of the terror, the, the, the nation's foremost terrorist country is under this demon. Is it any wonder 
why we're having so many problems even today on nuclear issues. And there's no wonder that the Iranian powers say that we will destroy Israel. Why do they say those things? Because no one of the demonic world wants God's Jewish people, the land in which Jesus was born and raised, to survive. That's what's going on. So that's the prince of this kingdom of Persia. As we understand the unseen world, we begin to get. Why is there so much tribulation over there? Well, that prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me. This demonic being was resisting Gabriel's coming to Daniel. For 21 days he did that. For three weeks there's battling. Gabriel says, I want to get to Daniel. I want to care for him. I hear his prayers. I want to respond. I can't get there because there is a more powerful demon that is resisting me. And we don't understand why. Well, where was God? Why didn't God just speak the word and it happened? God uses angels in ways that we don't always understand. But in this particular case, this angel could not get there. And then Michael, who was a more powerful angel than Gabriel... One of the chief princes that is a a royal uh, angel of God's help came to help me. So the two of them overcame the prince of the kingdom of Persia. For I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to you to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to the days yet future. And then he begins to explain, here's what's going to happen, Daniel. And some of the things that he explains has happened between Daniel and today. So we can see that God said this would happen and it did happen. You can see that for yourself. And then there are things that are going to happen yet future to us as well. Gabriel responds, the simple point is this. God is saying to us, don't lose heart in this life. One way we lose heart is when we pray and we don't get an answer. As we see the unseen world, we begin to see that there are demons out there. There are powerful demons out there who will inhibit in some way that is beyond my understanding the response to the prayer that we ask. In this particular case, it stopped the prayer for three weeks. There was no response because there was a war raging in the eternal world that you and I do not see. And we get this point where it feels like it's fantasy. Yet God says, I want you to understand this. Because he says in Ephesians 6.12, he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That's not where the battle is. It's against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. The more we see the unseen world, the more we realize we're in a battle and we don't see the battle. We may experience it. We may feel it. Because there are specific things that demons try to do. And I'm going to talk about that in spiritual warfare. There are specific things that we are being attacked in. And when you understand that's a demonic world, that's a demonic attack, that's a demonic repercussion that is into our lives, we say, now I recognize why that's happening to me. Now I see where that is coming into my life in a way that I hadn't understood it before. I want to see it the way God sees it. And so there is a war going on. And so the first two reasons why we should see the unseen world is so that we have hope of a future life so we don't lose heart in this life. There's a third reason. So we experience spiritual renewal through proper priorities and perspectives. 
Now we come to verses 16 through 18. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, we do not lose heart as we just saw. For though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's break that down into two things. I believe that one of the two things that Paul would have us take away, and there's so much more, there's a lot of golden nuggets there, we could dig in there for a long time. But let me just give you two takeaways. Number one is the priorities. God wants us to have the priority of the spiritual world over the material world. As he says, though our outer man is decaying away, our inner man is... Notice how he, he's so presumptuous. It is being renewed day by day. You know, when Eric was talking just a moment ago, we have Discover Calvary, Discover Jesus, as classes that are beginning today and Wednesday night. Why? So that we can be spiritually renewed day by day. Paul's presumption, assumption, is that if believers are living for Jesus, we're being renewed day by day. That's the journey. So Paul is saying, our outer man, this body is decaying, but our inner man is being renewed day by day. And just as a little, a little fun, this is the reality that we face. I like the way one person described the challenge of today where we spend $88 billion every year to look like we're always 25. That's what we try to do. And as I look around this room, some of us need to get our money back. And I, I haven't spent any money on that. So, sorry. Sorry you have to look at me for the next... 17 minutes. But here is what uh, one person wrote about the outer body decaying away. At about 30 years of age, Mr. Young begins to realize that everything is gradually turning loose. 30 is that age. 30, it starts slipping and sliding. He presses his face close to the mirror and examines new signs of deterioration. He's been hit by the well-known triple threat, sag, wrinkle, and droop. The pull of gravity is steadily destroying his jawline, and there's no way to anchor it in place. Most of the musculature which once rippled across his chest has now melted and skidded down toward his protruding stomach. A little more of his precious air defects to the pillow each night, eventually leaving nothing above his ears but skin and bone. His wife can hardly console him. She has troubles of her own. She brags to her husband that she still has the body of a 20-year-old, and he replies, well, give it back. You're getting it all wrinkled. So, it was just a joke but it struck home. 
In her panic to preserve what is left, she rushes to the pharmacist and buys bee jelly, horse hormones, Botox, anything, which promises to tighten, mask, and undergird that which is sliding. But alas, her careful reconstruction washes off each evening, leaving the same old grooves and lines and bags and bumps. Then she bakes it in the sun, jiggles it in the gym, but nothing helps for long. Obviously, this inevitable process of aging is extremely painful to a beauty worshiper, whether masculine or feminine. Thank you. You may go home now. But that's the reality. And you know when that was written? That was written 35 years ago. 35 years ago. And we still are pursuing $88 billion worth of that. 88, how much B-wax can you buy for $88 billion? I don't know. I don't even know what B-wax is. But. Here's what Paul wants us to do. As much as we will focus on those things, and every morning we get up there and we look in the mirror and I say, who is that old man in the mirror, you know? Here's what Paul wants. Yes, we should take care of our bodies. I believe in fitness. I ride a bicycle. I try to exercise every day. I try to do... I, I'm not saying you just sort of give up on the temple of God. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we should take care of it. But we shouldn't be obsessed with it. We should sort of let nature take its course to a certain extent. But we can resist it but ultimately, we're all going to die. Sorry. But here's what he's saying. Though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. And that word renew, two words, so obvious. Ana kainas. Ana is a Greek word that means to go back. And kainos is a Greek word that means to be new quality. For example, there is a Greek word for new that, like if you go to a dealership and you buy a brand new car, well, that's the other word for new. But as I have done on a couple occasions, taking an MG or a Triumph and restoring it, it's a car that's probably 30 years old, but it's kainos because it has new qualities to it. So what Paul is saying is, I'm not going to make you all young again, but I am going to make you have the quality again of what here it is i once gave adam in the garden before he sinned i want to return the quality that i'd always always committed to but sin and disobedience stole it away so he said i want that spiritual renewal to come back into your life one of the great examples of this material world and the spiritual world is job if you read the story of Job in Job 1 and 2, uh, very quickly, Satan comes, and here's another revelation about Satan and God and how he comes before the, the Lord God in heaven. Satan, all the demons, they meet with God. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? He's the most righteous man on the earth. Yeah, let me go check him out. Let me see whether he's committed to you. And so he goes, and he kills the ten children of Job. He kills and destroys the business of Job. And then he gives Job boils all over his body. He is totally physically destroyed in this life. Job gets it, though. Job's priority is God. Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. 
the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. That is what you call a spiritual priority over a material world provider. I, I hope that none of us ever have to go through that. I, know, I don't know whether I could handle that the way he did. But that's the essence of what Paul is saying. Our outer body decays, but our inner man is renewed spiritually day by day. Job got that. We also see that there's a new perspective. For a momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all compare. The more pain there is here, the greater the glory is there. That's a reality. If you have, I remember Stanley Toussaint, who was one of my professors at Dallas Seminary, when he would teach on this in our classroom. Stanley Toussaint had this big brace on his left leg, he had polio, and he'd always walk around with a limp and you hear the clump of all that metal clattering around on his leg. And he says, every time I read that verse, I look at my leg. I said, the greater the weight of the leg of the polio decay that is going on here, I know for me, Stanley Toussaint, there is even greater glory in heaven. The more pain here, the greater glory there. That's a reality. And he says, while we look not at things which are seen, we see a lot of things. Well, we don't look there, but we at the things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporal. This is all temporary. This is, all, this is just a passing phase of life that we're living in today. But the things which are not seen are eternal. He says, I want you to look there. I love this word for look. He says, while we look not at the things that are seen, but he's saying in, in a sense, look at the things which are not seen. The word look is scopeo. We get the English word scope from it. And so the reality, what Paul says to put it in today's world, if you look through a microscope, you see things you don't see with the naked eye. If you look through a telescope, you see things you don't see from the naked eye. For example, through a microscope you see this. Anybody know what you're looking at? Space aliens. No, you're looking at a banana. Guess? Close. Carpet. Velcro. Congratulations. If I had a gift, I'd give it to you. Mites. That's what's in some of your hair right now. A good, whoops, I was going to say it. A guitar string. You sort of playing up there. Right over here. Some of you will remember this. This is an older crowd. This is not going to work very well in the second hour. But it's a record. Remember those things? They're wonderful for skeet shooting now. And here's one. We should all get this one. You probably don't recognize it because you're looking under the scope of a micro view. But this is award-winning Super Bowl champion Matthew Slater's shirt. <laughs> As he just won the Super Bowl and is praising God like that. His arms are still like that because he had surgery. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. 
You're looking at the telescope, you've seen these things. You go up there, you look through the telescope, and you begin to see things you cannot see with the naked eye and the beauty of it all. And what God says, I want you to be able to see things that you can't see. I want to bring the microscope of biblical truth and help you to see things that you can't see in the unseen world. And for the next numbers of weeks, we're going to be able to take the microscope of God's Word and begin to dissect those areas so that we get it. We get why my prayers are not being answered. We get why the relationship is not healing. We get why the body is not what I want it to be. We begin to understand it and see it in new light. One of the great examples of that is in 2 Kings 6, where Elisha is surrounded by the enemy. And the servant comes and says, Elisha, the enemy is surrounding us. We have no way of escape. And then Elisha says this to his servant. So he answered and said, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. What do you mean? It's just the two of us. We have no chance. And then Elisha prayed and says, Oh Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha as angels were protecting him. And that's what we need. We need Give me eyes to see the world that you are in charge of, God, so that we can live a courageous and an ambitious life. 2 Corinthians 5, For we know that the earthly tent which is ours, house is torn down. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan. We do groan in this body. We do indeed. Longing to be clothed with the dwelling from heaven, having our mind and set on the things above. Inasmuch as we who have been put it on will not be found naked, but indeed while we're in this tent, we groan, we groan over this life, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up in life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, always being of good courage, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and we prefer rather to be absent from the body to be home with the Lord. Therefore, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. And I take those two verses there that I put on the screen to highlight. When he says, therefore, he is concluding something. In light of all that he's just said about the world of the unseen and being able to see the world of the unseen, this world is temporary. Someday we'll put on this tent, this, this body that God has given to replace this tent that is burdened and groaning. And we don't like this body. We don't like the way this body treats us. We don't like the pain and the agony and the, and the brokenness that often comes with these bodies. And so he says two therefores. Therefore, being always of good courage, knowing that while we're at ha- home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. So therefore, have courage. Secondly, therefore, have an ambition. What's my ambition? My ambition is not this world. My ambition is God's world, God's priority, God's perspective, to be pleasing to Him. So two walkaways. Therefore, have courage in this life because God is in charge. Therefore, have an ambition in life to please Him, not this world, not the world's values, to please the world that I don't see. Let me conclude with one of the great examples that I've read of a family that, like Job, gets it. I've been blessed by this story of Lillian and Gordon Eddy. 
They're up at Prairie Bible Institute, as it was called at the time. And he was overseeing the, the maintenance uh, of the facilities of the uh, college. And their little son, Darren, about age eight, came down with cancer. And so they, like any of us, would be devastated by that. But somehow on that journey, they had the very things that Paul writes about, already their platform for life. They had courage and they had ambition. That I'm going to please the Lord with this. And this is how she concluded the last days of Darren's life. There's much more to it, but let me just summarize it in here. As Darren lay quietly on his bed, his head cradled on his arm, there was no struggle, no anxiety. Calmed by the pervading peace and knowing it would not be long, I stroked his baby soft new hair, result of chemo. With lungs filling until breathing was almost impossible, let us know that he understood. And Darren said, I'm not dying, Mom. It's just this old body. An eight-year-old. Just this old body. We talked of his home to be and the priceless gift of eternal life. He promised to greet two young friends who had gone on ahead of him just last spring and to give our love to Jesus. Certain of his own destination, Darren's concern in his last hours was for relatives who were not ready to meet God. He wanted them to be in heaven with him. Darren, I said, his mom said through tears, remember I told you that when I couldn't look after you anymore, Jesus would? Yes, mom, I remember. 8.45 in the evening of New Year's Eve, the doors of heaven swung open and our little warrior was welcomed home. She says, I thought of the words of Charles Spurgeon when he said, Little faith will bring your souls to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your souls. Their faith in ours as a family has grown through the endurance of Darren's illness, and heaven is so much closer. When one we love makes the journey before us, somehow the gates of glory are set ajar ever so slightly. And a ray of light escapes to link the here and now with the forever. And we are inclined to follow. The Eddy family, they get it. This world is temporary. All of it, this world, is, as C.S. Lewis says, is merely a prelude. It's merely the title. And heaven is chapter 1. And we continue the journey forever. This body, this life, our journey today is to become ageless. And if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you confess your sins to Him and say, Jesus, I want you to stand with me in heaven someday. You have that hope of future life. And if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, He was resurrected from the dead so that you too could be resurrected in that day when it comes for you. Because this world is temporary and we long to be clothed with a heavenly home that God has created for us. And if you'd like to believe in Jesus, let me invite you in this prayer right now to trust Him right now. Father God, as I close this time together from Your Word, 
I pray for any here who is not ready as Darren was, who does not have a hope of a future life with a resurrected Jesus standing right next to him or her. God, you seek that place with them, to stand with them, because they've been redeemed and set free from sin and have put their faith and trust in your death upon that cross as forgiveness is given to them. If you'd like to believe in Jesus, pray with me now. God in heaven, I choose to believe in Jesus as my only way to heaven. Jesus died for my sins. I confess them. I repent of them. And I believe that Christ will save me. Thank you. I look forward to that future day when Jesus will stand with me in heaven and bring me before Almighty God. And I pray it in Christ's name.